is, this is an incredible point. What's up, soccer fans? Welcome to the Soccer Brothers Podcast. I'm your host, Al Qatar. This is episode number 72. I'm excited to talk to you guys today about the USMNT's 1-1 draw at the Estadio Azteca against Mexico. Why don't we get right into that? So going into this game, uh, we saw Bruce Arena make seven starting lineup changes um, after that 2-0 win against Trinidad and Tobago. And I was really surprised about this, and I was especially surprised about the formation uh, with a three in the back. Three defenders were Tim Ream, Omar Gonzalez, and Jeff Cameron. And in terms of forwards, it's not often where you don't see Josie Altidore or Clint Dempsey. We saw Paul Ariola, Christian Pulisic, and Bobby Wood today, which was interesting. And I thought before the game that they might provide some pace. Um, and it seemed to be a very fluid front line uh, they, they, where they could overlap each other and do some quick exchanges. And I thought that could work. Um, and in the midfield, I was happy to see Bradley and Acosta. I know that Bradley against the better teams works better with a midfield partner. And I, I was happy about that. And then seeing Yedlin and uh, DeMarcus Beasley, DeMarcus Beasley, I understand. Uh, both, both those guys have experienced playing fullback, and um, obviously in that wingback position, you need to, you're going to need to be good at defending and attacking. So I was, I was fine with that, too. Um, I, my, my biggest, uh, my, my biggest, just surprise was just the fact. I was more surprised than anything. I mean, looking at the the team, it looked like it was cohesive and it looked like it could work, and. Um, you know, right before the game, they said that they knew they were going to play three in the back since the first day of training. They were prepared for this, and I think it looks like that on the field. But why don't I get right into the goals, and then I can talk more about the match as a whole. So in the sixth minute, just the sixth minute, uh, Michael Bradley capitalizes off a Mexican mistake, uh, gets an interception, takes a big touch, catches up to that touch, and then ships it over Ochoa, who's off his line. Just a fantastic goal. Um, I mean, like... You know, like that was, it wasn't that easy of a chip. I mean, it had pace on it, and it was just high enough to get over Ochoa and into the net comfortably. And Michael Bradley, man, we, we just need to stop overreacting when he doesn't have the best of games because he did fantastically today. And any sane U.S. fan should think that he should be a part of Bruce Arena's plans going forward. So, right, uh, we, we open up the scoring. My brother and I are jumping around everywhere. We're thinking maybe, just maybe, we can get our first win at the Azteca in a World Cup qualifying, but it didn't take much longer. It took 17 minutes longer for Mexico to equalize. Um, Carlos Vela equalized, and basically it started off with a corner that was kind of messed up. Eventually fell to Paul Ariola, who headed into the center. And then Bobby Wood had a volley that he just kind of mishit and went into the Mexican defenders, and then they were on the counterattack. And then Chicharito boosts his counterattack and is running across midfields and passes seven American defenders and eventually gets to Carlos Vela, who kind of beats DeMarcus Beasley, gets onto his left foot and slots it into the net. Um, this That goal wasn't entirely DeMarcus Beasley's fault. I mean, it's hard to mark Carlos Vela, and I think Brad Guzano's out of position, and there are just so many points on that counterattack where you, where you could have said, oh, Chicharito should not, you know, our defenders or our midfielders should have been more disciplined and contained Chicharito more. And also, starting from the very beginning, I think that Bobby Wood could have passed it on his right to Pulisic, who had open space, and if Pulisic has open space, it's going to be a high percentage shot. Um, or he could have just hit the volley better. So, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of people that could be blamed. Let's not just put this onto Marcus Beasley, because I think especially Brad Guzano's out of position. And I don't think Brad Guzano had the best of games either. Uh, that was another thing that I was surprised about with the starting lineup. I think that Tim Howard should have played in this game, and I was surprised when I saw that. 
Um, so, yep, uh, and th- th- those were basically the two goals, and for, for, for the bulk of the game after that, Mexico has control, but not by accident. Bruce Arena knows what he's doing. Bruce Arena knows that if we try to take the game to Mexico, they're going to burn us. They're going to outplay us. So basically, the strategy is absorb pressure, and then if you can, maybe get a long ball or get a counterattack going, and I, I think that this strategy worked because we did have I mean a few a few close chances chances that maybe could have won us the game even though we didn't get that much in possession um you know the one of the craziest ones was around the 70th minute where Bradley flicks it up to himself and all, and takes a half volley and it just hits the right post and it almost got past Ochoa and uh, that that seemed to be like it could have been the winning goal, but I'm not trying to say that Mexico didn't get their fair share of chances. Um, the biggest thing was in the, biggest one to me was in the 70th minute where Hector Herrera hits the crossbar on the free kick. Um, there's also another one in the 79th minute where Javier Aquino slips and skies it over the crossbar. Um, he probably could have if he was steady on his feet, finished it into the back of the net. Um, but yeah, the U.S. had this strategy going forward. We had this plan: absorb the pressure and play a couple long balls. And I think that. I think that we definitely uh, we definitely saw a little more promise at the beginning. Um, I think that once when we had more gas in us, there were there was a little more counter going. Um, I, there was a counter attack in the eleventh minute that Christian Pulisic just um, kind of messed up on. So I mean, yeah, for, for in terms of Christian Pulisic, I thought that he he still worked very hard in this game, and he still had a couple good flashes um, in the 39th minute. He did really well to get past like four Mexicans and um, play a good through ball to Yedlin where it, it looked like that possession should have been over. It looked like Mexico should, it was, it should have been going the other way, but he kept the ball for a while and gave a nice through ball to Yedlin in, 39, in the 39th minute, scuffs the shot and gives Mexico a goal kick. But overall, I thought Pulisic definitely didn't have the game against Trinidad and Tobago that he wanted. Definitely um, at times tried to do a little much, a little too much and passed off. Uh, the easy pass and went for a more difficult skill or pass. And, uh, you know, I mean, it's it's his first um, time playing at the Azteca. I can understand nerves getting to him, but I, I, I'm not sure that was really what the case was this time. I mean, I, I, I think he's very mature as an 18-year-old, and I think that he did do some things very well. And... Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to go too hard on him. I, I think he had his flashes. Um, you know, other than that, in the front line, you had Bobby Wood. Um, I think that Bobby Wood didn't do well enough to hold play. At the very beginning, it seemed like he was doing well to fend off defenders and maybe do a little bit better in the air. He had some okay runs, but overall, he wasn't what we needed. And I think when Altidore came on as that first substitution, we did see a lot of that hold-up play and those winning handers that we wanted to see. Um, I do think that Wood really is would probably work the best in a two striker set uh, like someone who can uh you know have hold up play and he can run off of or um or come off the bench cuz i mean the, if if Bobby Wood is a very fast player and if if the defense is gassed he can he can get in behind pretty easily so uh Wood was all right and then Ariola didn't do much. I thought it was very slow on the counter, and I think he was the most regressive player in the attack. I don't think that Ariola brought the same spark that Pulisic and Wood did at times. But, you know, I mean, for, for this style of play, I understand uh, Bruce Arena choosing the players that he did. I mean, Nagby is the big name that I probably would have gone for. 
on the right wing instead. I think that he could have done more a little earlier. I mean, we did see him get subbed on Nagby, but he didn't he didn't get the ball much. When he did get the ball, he was pretty good, but I, he barely got any touches, and no one really got touches after the 60th minute besides, like, a few isolated shots and stuff. I mean, it, it was all Mexico, pretty much. We were just trying to soak the pressure. We know how hard it is to get a draw at the Azteca in World Cup qualifying. We've only done it three other times, um, or two other times, excuse me, and, um, you know, we wanted to hold that draw because because going into this game, everyone marks this game as a loss. At the Azteca, loss. That's why, that's, that's why you know, you know, people were freaking, you know, so much out after those two losses uh, when, when Jurgen Klinkman got fired, and rightfully so because the expectation is that, yes, you lost these two games, but you also lost going to Mexico. That, that already happened, kind of. And um, which is why it was such a good statement for the U.S. tonight, and uh, I was really impressed with how they did in the midfield. Um, I thought Michael Bradley closed down on players really well. He forced some tough passes, even though he didn't uh, get the. You know, he wasn't always on the ball. I thought when he did get the ball, he made some really good passes. Um, some really little passes that made the play become a little more attacking at times, where he could have easily passed it back because he he has that you know that kind of presence on the ball. And he got, he got forward in key, situ- key, key situations, excuse me. And um, obviously that goal was was crazy. It was from 41 yards out. Um, and four career goals versus Mexico. I mean, that's pretty impressive. Um, I mean, you, we know how tough these games can get. Michael Bradley just seems to come through in these games. And one of the reasons that he comes through is because he has a reliable, disciplined midfield partner with him, uh, like he did today, with Kellen Acosta. Kellen Acosta did well. Um, he moved the ball forward well when he got closed down. I think he could have, you know, taken the ball a little more, gotten a little more aggressive, and made some more tackles. But I, I was fine with him going crazy. I was fine with him letting Bradley take a lot of the, um, the you know, to t- take a lot of the presence in the midfield. Um, in terms of our outside midfielders or our wing backs, however you want to look at them. Um, you know, I thought Beasley defended well. One header is amazing what he's doing at his age. And I mean, come on, this guy has been in five different World Cup qualifying cycles. I'm pretty sure it's the first time anyone's ever done that. And he doesn't look that old. I mean, I mean, he, you know, he was getting hurt a little more easily, but he he was winning those 50-50 balls. And um, you know, we saw him choke a little bit in that Concacaf Cup match versus Mexico under Jurgen Klinsmann. But he tended to actually win the ball this time and be in the right positions. And the goal, as I said, was not entirely his fault. So with Demarcus Beasley, um, you know, just know that he's not going to be the starter in the super competitive games. I mean, you can expect Fabian Johnson to play in that in that role. But this was this was I thought this was a good decision in the end by Bruce Arena because Beasley played well. He did the job he needed to do. And you know what? In practice. These players might fit better for that ro- for that role or in the scheme that he wants, and obviously he's accounting for energy and everything. I mean, actually, I do think that Fabian Johnson would play that role just as well. But besides the point, Bruce Arena had a plan, unlike Jurgen Klinsmann would, and that is one of the reasons that we did so well in this game. Um, Acosta, uh, sorry, excuse me, not Acosta. Yedlin, I thought he had a very shaky first half. He was committing a lot of fouls, had a lot of bad giveaways. But in the second half, um, he did a lot better at defending. I think part of the plan in the second half was to sit back a little more. So we, I, we didn't see him get at forward as much. But 
So I can basically only judge him on what he was doing in the defensive third, and I thought he was doing a very good job in the defensive third. And there were a couple of times where he got forward a lot and forced, you know, kept the Mexican defenders honest. So um, Yedlin, I wanted him. I was scared that he was going to get red carded in the first half, and by the second half I was I was very confident when he was um, getting those 50-50 balls and getting the ball out and making some impressive sliding challenges. Uh, and then in the back... Uh, you had Tim Ream playing that left center back spot, and I thought he did well when he had the ball on his feet. You know, he didn't he didn't make too many mistakes, and I thought he marked Vela fairly well uh, when they weren't on the counter attack. And he didn't do much in the air, but I think Cameron and Gonzalez did enough in the air. Uh, you know, to <laughs> enough for the whole center back pair. Or I guess not a pair; it's a trio. Um, and then Omar Gonzalez on the other side. Um, I thought he kept kept the Mexican attackers on side a lot, which was definitely his weakest point. And um, he he tried to play it safe a lot on some of those headers and clearances. He definitely went for, uh, you know, the safer option of clearing out for a corner rather than going for throw-ins or clearing it upfield. And um, he just didn't want to be the culprit. He didn't want... He didn't want to accidentally have a Mexican attacker on the other side of him applying pressure and make a stupid mistake, which is which is fine. We know that Omar Gonzalez understood the, this rivalry more than anybody. Anybody He's playing in Mexico right now. He's of Mexican heritage. He feels uh, both sides of the rivalry, but obviously he put, put his best efforts tonight. And he definitely had some good plays. Definitely just his biggest weakness was a couple times uh, Mexico had chances. No, Omar, Jeff Cameron and Tim Ream seemed to be in position, but Omar Gonzalez was keeping them on side. Um, and in the center of this center back trio, Jeff Cameron, who was my man of the match. Um, I'll talk a little bit more about the man of the match later. Uh, but he barely did anything wrong. He was really good at getting ground crosses, uh, in, really good at intercepting ground crosses that were coming into the box from Mexico. And he was always immediately looking forward. And sometimes when the midfield was um, a little reluctant to get forward, he would force the midfield to push up a little bit, just like he did against Trinidad and Tobago. And some of those attacking chances were spurred by um, Jeff Cameron himself. Uh, and then Brad Guzan, I I didn't think that he had a good he had a good authority for the defense. I didn't think that he was as commanding as Tim Howard was against Trinidad and Tobago. He didn't have many saves, um, which I mean obviously isn't doesn't really say much about him. And sometimes he's got cheating a little bit in terms of positioning, and he could have gotten burned on a couple of those long shots that they tried. Uh, Mexico does seem to have a thing for long shots, and uh, on that Hector Herrera crossbar free kick. I thought that really Brad Gazan couldn't have gotten that no matter what, but he still was a little bit out of position. But for the goal, for Carlos Vela's goal, he just seemed to be leaning right on his right a little bit when the shot was coming in left. And I feel like the way that uh, Vela was carrying his momentum, it should have been kind of predictable where he was shooting it. I mean, I'm, I'm not a goalkeeping expert. I'm not a physics expert, but it just seemed like the way that he was kind of taking that diagonal turn after coming inside that he was not going to, that he's going to put it, and, and carrying his momentum to the right side, that he's going to put it in the far right corner. But, you know, obviously, I could be wrong. Um, the substitute, Starling Tanagby, as I said, he didn't he didn't really get on the ball that much, but when he did, he was, he was impactful. I think that, um, I do think that in the midfield, he could be, he, he can be a little more dangerous than he is on the wing. I know that he was playing against the wing uh, on the wing against Trinidad and Tobago, but it seemed like Viafania and Yedlin against Trinidad and Tobago were carrying the width, and Nagby and uh, Fabian Johnson were pinching it a little more um, and helping helping the play uh, centrally. 
So, um, yeah, I think that Nagby definitely does have potential um, in the wing and in a more central role, but just in this game, no one really got much of the ball, so I think that, I mean, his substitution wasn't felt that much. Uh, the most impactful substitution was Josie Alzador. Um, he he had really good, uh, he was really good in the air, and he had good hold-up play, and he just seemed to be really active, I thought, because, I mean... But, I mean, really, the substitutes, all in all, weren't that impactful. I mean, he's competing against Nagby and Zuzi, who both really didn't do that much. I mean, Zuzi wasn't on really long enough to prove himself, but definitely thought Altidore was the best of those substitutions. And and Bruce and Arena, well, as, and then well, as I evaluated all those players, I think Bruce Arena, um, three in the back, it was a bold move. It surprised us all, but we did look organized. We did look like we had a plan, and we got a result. So, I mean, a result at the Azteca, so it's hard to just... Uh, you know, say, oh, you should have played Dempsey, or oh, you know, you should have played Fabian Johnson. But because everyone seemed to know their role, and we seemed to have a plan, and no one really looked confused, and everyone had an identity, which was something we were losing with Jurgen Klinsmann. So, yeah, I mean, those are my, you know, general thoughts uh, on the game. Oh, yeah, I did want to talk about the man of the match, because we had a poll on uh, Twitter, and we asked you guys who... uh, who the man of the match was, and you guys voted Michael Bradley, and I mean, I can totally, I can totally see that. Uh, right now, fifty-three percent say Michael Bradley, thirty-five percent say Jeff Cameron, nine percent say DeAndre Edlin, and three percent say Demarcus Beasley. Um, so I mean, yeah, I mean, Bradley was the goal scorer, and he was very effective in the midfield, and he almost had a second, and I, I can totally understand that. He he. He did something that's so hard to do, which is score a goal at the Azteca. And Jeff Cameron is my man in the match, and he carried 35% of the vote because he was just so solid, did his job so well. It shows you that he can play in a two-man center-back pairing. He can play in a center-back trio. We've seen him play right back before. He's not. He, uh, he, I don't think he's as effective there as he is in defensive mid or as a center-back, but he's so versatile, and he's such an important piece going forward. Anytime you can have a consistent player in the Premier League on your team, it's going to be it's going to be that person is going to be an important part of your team. So I I I do think that Jeff Cameron was the man of the match, but obviously I'm not taking anything away if you voted for Michael Bradley. If you voted for DeAndre Edlin, I mean I think you just kind of forgot about his first half. Uh, I mean, like because he was just getting really aggressive. He he was was just really not timing his challenges properly. And I mean, he he was arguably getting forward a little too much too. And Demarcus Beasley, I, I can I can understand why it would be you know why Demarcus Beasley is kind of a fan favorite why you would vote for him, but I don't I don't think that he has as much of an impact defensively as Jeff Cameron, um, and you know offensively and in the attack there really wasn't enough attack to talk about, which again was Bruce Arena's plan and is okay. So you might look at that possession stat and be like, oh, Mexico deserved a win. No, we we knew what we were doing. And yes, either team could have come away with the win, but a draw seems like a fair result to me knowing what we were trying to do going into the game. So um, those those were what you guys said. um, And I think there were some replies uh, to that poll. So why why don't I check that out? Um, Carson Poe, I think, says, uh, bloom off the rose with Yedlin, speed but needs more imagination. Yeah, he, uh, yeah, I mean, definitely, I mean, uh, 
Deadland's pace is just something that makes him so deadly. Um, yeah, you're right. He can be a little bit too direct sometimes, but I think at this point, um, you know, when you're making those overlapping runs as a fullback, sometimes it like the technicality of creating chances. If we wanted to develop that part of him, we'd, we'd be playing him at an outside midfield role or a winger role more. But um, he's he, he's playing fullback right now for club and for country. So I don't I, I don't know if he's going to. I mean, he will develop that part of his game. But right now, I think the most important thing is to get his defending like it was in the second half of this of, of this game. And then Dominic Weatherhill says Bradley will win the vote. But people who know the game vote Cameron. I mean, you know, I think I don't necessarily. I, I don't know if he means know the game, like this game or the game of soccer. Either way, though, I don't think that you're ignorant if you voted for Bradley because Bradley did did have the biggest play of the game. It just depends on how you want to look at it. Are you looking for the person who saved our ass more? Who? had a more consistent impact throughout the game, I think, or the player at the biggest moment and was also doing his job very well and rose up to the challenge and um, was a confident, very confident presence in the game, which was Michael Bradley. Um, and I can really understand either way you voted. But I just want to talk you know, a little bit about how excited I am to be a US MNT fan right now because personally, I think that in the past, being a U.S. fan, I'm not going to lie, it sometimes felt like a burden. A burden to watch the games, a burden to keep up. I, I love this team, and I would, I would be bothered if I missed a game in the past or now. But right now, it feels like fun. It's, it's fun to watch the USE, and I celebrated so hard when Bradley scored. I celebrated so hard when Pulisic scored that second goal. And we just look like we know what we're doing. We look like there's an identity. We look like there's a connection between the coach and the players. We look like we have a plan. And whether or not Bruce Arena, you know, is a tactical mastermind who's going to completely change the way U.S. soccer runs, and whether or not he has some completely fresh approach that we haven't seen before, that's probably not true. That stuff's probably not true. But Bruce Arena has gone out there, and he's given this team a plan, an identity, and you can't ask for much more right now, especially since uh, the state of U.S. soccer before... Uh, Bruce Arena took over, which was a mess with Jurgen Klinsmann. I, and I truly think that Bruce Arena... I mean, Bruce Arena hasn't lost a game yet in World Cup qualifying. Drawn on the road twice, yes, I would have liked to have beaten Panama. But that's not how it ended up working. And um, at least at least we looked like we, we, we knew what we were doing. At least, at least we had a plan. And I mean, I'm not even sure that's why it's necessarily more fun. I, I, I think it also feels like the players just care more. There's more of a connection and a chemistry between everyone. It feels it does feel like they want to wear that their crest more. And you know, even in this game, you know, a high altitude at the Azteca, it's a hard place to play. A lot of people are gassed. Pulisic nearly played I mean pretty much played 180 minutes between the two games, more with additional time if you want to count that. And he was still working his ass off. He almost had that chance in the very end. Um, what's, what minute was that? I, I think that was in the 89th minute where, or 88th or 89th where Pulisic 
got past a few defenders, tried to curl it into the bottom right corner past Ochoa, but couldn't. Um, that he definitely would have been a hero, and it would have canceled out any other missteps that he had in the rest of the game. But it, I mean, so to be honest, I mean, just quickly with Pulisic, I do think that he did hold us back a little bit, but I think all the attackers held us back a little bit at some points. But Pulisic, it was a little bit more frustrating because. It just seemed like he was taking the wrong approach at times. Sometimes he was trying to do a little bit too much because he does have the most talent on our side of the pitch. Um, he, he he just has the ability to do the most. He has that just that the most skill on our team. But I think that Pulisic needs to figure out the right balance between uh, playing weaker teams and stronger teams. Because he needs he needs to go about that a little differently. Because it's okay to do what he was doing today against Trinidad and Tobago, but against Mexico, a lot of these guys in the Mexican shirt play week in and week out in Europe. You can't pull off the same kind of kind of things. And, you know, maybe Pulisic knows that. You know, I'm not saying he's deliberately trying to play the same way against every single team, but it just did look like he, was, he wasn't respecting, respecting Mexico enough today. Um, but, you know, it's... Or at least, you know, respecting him in the sense that he was trying to do too much versus them. But... Pulisic's going to figure it out. He's got a lot of time left. Showed a lot of promise today and always, and I love him. <laughs> it's as simple as that. But going back to the whole idea about me enjoying the U.S. more, um, you know, I, I think that, you know, even though even though we were playing a very, like a very absorb approach, a very just park the bus type approach today, I think that at least it felt a little bit exciting just clearing it away. At least it felt like we had something. We had, we had, we had it might have been a, a regressive approach, but at least it was approach. At least it all felt like we were trying to do something. And, and we, we only had one shot the last time the U.S. played Mexico with Jurgen Klinsmann. So it's not like, you know, Bruce Arena has gotten less, you know, exciting and done less on the attacking side. But, you know, yeah. And also, just going into this game, I was just so much more excited coming off that Trinidad and Tobago game than I've been basically since the 2014 World Cup. I was just so not that high on that old U.S. team. And even during the Copa America, I just wasn't getting the same excitement. So I'm just really excited going forward into the Gold Cup and during the end of this qualifying campaign and into the 2018 World Cup. It's so close, guys. It's, it's, It's only a year away which is just so crazy. And of course, we're going to keep you updated on the latest content. Um, and we, we are excited to get, get as much as we can. Nihal will be back, uh, on this podcast in October to December. Um, you know, he, he's working, uh, right now and he's just not able to do it, but he will be able to soon. And by the time that world cup rolls around, by the time we get into more qualifiers, he'll, he'll be, he'll be here ready to go, and we will be pushing out very consistent content. But um, I'm actually uploading. Um, I, I'm pretty sure I've actually uploaded all after all four of the U.S. qualifiers. So even though I was inconsistent with uh, the end of the European club season and everything else that was going on, like beginning of MLS season, at least I was pushing stuff out uh, for U.S. MNT, which I think is the bulk of what our fan base is focused on right now. So. Um, yeah, uh, I, I don't think I have much else to say about the game. Um, I, I'm proud of what we did on the field. 
I'm proud of the approach that we took. It looked like everyone was giving it their all, and there wasn't a long window, and it's always going to be hard to come in the Aztec and get any result. So I'm excited. I know we're in third place right now. We're losing the tiebreaker to Costa Rica, but I definitely think that could change. And right now we're just looking to qualify for the World Cup. Who cares about winning the Hex? Mexico got in fourth, thanks to us, uh, last time around, and they got just as far in the World Cup as we did losing in the round of 16. So it really does not matter. It does not matter, but... It matters that we're going out there and we're playing good soccer. We, ha- we have an actual tactical approach. And um, just that we're having fun. And I, I'm, You guys are having fun. And I'm having fun watching this team. I'm having fun recording this episode. And uh, it's a good time to be a U.S. soccer fan. I really do think that, you know, even, even my dad said it, who's not much of a soccer analyst or a soccer expert. He, he saw your conclusive in U.S. soccer and he saw... USMNT and Bruce Rainey USMNT and he prefers Bruce Rainey USMNT. It's more exciting, more more tactical, and just just overall, just just makes me proud to be a U.S. men's national team fan more. And I think that he's getting a lot out of the talent that we have right now, even though he didn't play necessarily the most talented team. He has his reasons, and I'm going to trust him for now. Let's you know, good result. Don't don't forget that. Um, and it, it, you know, we're, we're, yeah, we're nearing, we're nearing, uh, 29 minutes right now. And, um, I don't really have anything else that I want to talk about. Um, yeah, I mean, there are, there are rumors right now of Zlatan Ibrahimovic to LA Galaxy, which obviously would be a huge move for LA Galaxy. I think that Zlatan still has, you know, talent. He still has the ability to play uh, well in Europe, and obviously, he had, he showed a lot of flashes um, for Manchester, in a Manchester United shirt this year. So, I mean, I think for MLS, that'd be insane to get this Laton in MLS right now. So, um, I think that'd be a great move for LA, and uh, definitely, I, <laughs> I I I want to see it. Um, anything else? The transfer transfer window that I want to talk about right now. Um, Milan, Milan right now has been kind of quiet. I mean, not quietly, but they've just got a lot of players that add up to a ton of money, and it's not even July yet, and they've spent a... Uh, I hope they're complying with FFP and everything, because um, they've gotten Kessier, Ricardo Rodriguez. Uh, there's a couple more names just eluding me right now, but um, I think Ricardo Rodriguez was a very, a very solid defender that they picked up, and I think that I'm not going to say that, you know, Milan, because Milan have, tri- have basically always had decent to good windows these last few years, but they just haven't been able to put it together. So I'm not going to go out and say that Milan is going to come back next year a very strong team or that they'll make Champions League or anything like that. Um, I don't, yeah, I don't even think they're in the Europa League this season. I, I, but, I mean, yeah, I, 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 I'm not willing to make any bets about where Milan is. But anyways, these are just some random tangents just to add to this episode a little bit. But um, uh, I'm going, I think I'm going to have a little special episode talking about um, something I'm interested in before I do, you know, kind of your, uh, my main episode where I wrap things up. But you guys will hear more about that going forward. But other than that, please, uh, we have an email for this podcast, soccerbrothespodcast.gmail.com. You can email us questions there. We have a Twitter and an Instagram. Those are at Soccer Bros Pod. We have um, we are on Google Play, iTunes, and SoundCloud. So review and rate us on those places. Please send us more questions and please interact with us on Twitter. Actually, we had a tweet today that really my brother took a gif right away after Michael Bradley scored that first goal, and I'm pretty sure it had like ended up 
having like over 300 retweets and over like 450 likes, and it's probably still blowing up as I, as I make this podcast. So that's pretty cool. That, that just kind of felt pretty cool. Um, so keep up with us in all those places. We have a website, SoccerBrothersPodcast.com. We also have a YouTube channel now, actually. So um, if for whatever reason you want to, you know, I mean, basically that's just a way to promote the podcast more. But, like, I mean, I don't know. If you're already listening to the podcast, I don't see why you would go to YouTube. But if you want to, go ahead, add them to your YouTube playlist. And um, other than that, uh, I don't think I have much else left to say. Uh, thank you so much for the support. Thank you uh, for listening to this podcast. I know my voice kind of dies without my brother because um, uh, it's hard to talk for this long just on your own. But I hope I'm doing a good job. If, obviously, I'll you know if you have any recommendations for things for me to talk about or any questions, like I said, hit me up on social media um, and hit the hit the Soccer Brothers social media accounts up too, and share the podcast with your friends or family if they're interested in soccer. And um, if you want to check out our most exciting and impressive episode, check out episode number sixty of the Soccer Brothers podcast where we interviewed Landon Donovan. I'm sure I know some of the stuff that we said on that podcast is still applicable, still important still relevant to the current state of U.S. soccer and sports in general. There's so many lessons that can be taken from that episode, and it's something that's always going to be close to my and my brother's heart. It was a dream come true, so always check out that episode. Um, I'm sure eventually we'll stop plugging it, but uh, that was really exciting. And uh, if if you enjoyed this episode, please go check out some of those interviews and longer-lasting episodes. But I'm going to get out of here now. I hope you guys enjoy the rest of your week, and thank you so much for listening. Goodbye, and I will see you next time on episode 73 of the Soccer Brothers Podcast. Thank you so much.